your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 320 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Piller up in Collingwood. Today's episode is brought to you by The Locker Room. Download The Locker Room app and join Pilsy and I this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to get in on the conversation. It's interactive radio, Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Well, the Belleville Senators wrapped up their season with a loss to the Marlies last night, ending an eight-game win streak. But when you look at how they started the season two and eight, to finish eight and two, the growth was there. So we're going to power rank our top five Belleville Sens who showed the most growth themselves in their game this season. We'll also touch on the World Championships. One of the four Senators will wear an assistant captain's A on his jersey. We'll tell you who that is and... We've got an expert on the show, Andy Sutton, former Ottawa Senator, will roll down memory lane with his brief stint in Ottawa during that 2010 season. All that and more, this is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Friday, May 21st, and Pilsy, a nice honor for Connor Brown, who will represent Canada and wear an A on his jersey doing so. Yeah, Connor Brown, his leadership has obviously impressed the Team Canada brass. He was a great leader in Ottawa. He was arguably the best player on this team all season, Ross. He was your season MVP. So uh, for a guy like him to get a letter makes a lot of sense. And he's one of the more veteran and better players on that Team Canada roster. So, so happy for Connor Brown. And this is just another notch on his resume that he can add. Yeah, Adam Henrique is going to be the captain of that team. The tournament is underway with Canada playing the hosts, Latvia, later on this afternoon. In Latvia, they decided that there will be spectators, so fans will get a firsthand look at what I'd imagine is a PK unit of Nick Paul and Connor Brown. That'll bring back a smile to any Sens fan's face. Yeah, and I mean, hey, that's a PK unit that can put some shorthanded goals on the board, too. Connor Brown led the entire NHL with five shorthanded goals. So don't think about just killing penalties. There's some offense to be had there from those two as well. Still no word yet on if Bernard Docker will be in the opening game lineup, but you can follow us on Twitter at Send Central. We'll let you know when we find that out. Artem Zub is playing right now for Team Russia, and that wraps up all the Senators. So it makes it easy for us, right, as Sens fans, that you get a cheer for your home country as well, for I'm sure most people listening as well. So we're all over Team Canada. We'll get to some Sens abroad stuff later in the show and the NHL playoffs, but the AHL season has ended for the Belleville Senators. I mentioned off the top, they changed the way they played enough that they ended the season on an 8-2 run versus their start with only two wins in their first 10 games. What was the biggest difference to you as they grew throughout the season? 
Well, the, a big difference is the roster, right? Like day one roster for Belleville is very different than the ending roster, similar to the Ottawa Senators. But I think, too, a lot of these guys were newly drafted young players playing in their first AHL season. And those are the guys that carry this team. Like we don't have to look much further than the top. Igor Sokolov led the team in goals and points in his first AHL season. He was just drafted this year. So there's a lot of guys that to start the year off, it's a big jump going from junior to the AHL or college to the AHL. Like Igor Sokolov talked about it in his most recent interview. And it's just that split second that you don't get to play with the puck. They're faster. There's sticks in the way. There's bodies in the way. Everything changes. So for those young guys to start the season off, they were struggling. And then get a little uh, while under Troy Mann and his systems, figure out how to play this game better and get some good reinforcements too. Let's not forget about that. And this team really turned things around. Division leader in penalty minutes. So you love to see that. I, I kid, I say that tongue in cheek, but they played 35 games and had 43 skaters play for them. So Troy Mann had a juggling act as any AHL season would, but especially in this year and how strange it was having guys leave to the taxi squad and up and down. And I thought he just did a tremendous job. This was a great resume building year for Troy Mann. The Senators finished the season 18, 16, and one. So because of that last stretch where they set a franchise record with eight consecutive wins, it pushed them over 500 for the season. So that's a nice notch on their belt as well. Let's power rank who grew the most throughout the season. We know the AHL is a developmental league. Let's start at number five, Pilsy. Who'd we have there? I just talked about it. Young guys entering this team at the year they've been drafted. How about Cole Reinhardt, the farm boy from out West? And he had a couple really good plays. I mean, he had that game winner. That was an excellent goal just a couple weeks ago. And this is a guy who a lot of people kind of were scratching their head. Why are the Sens drafting an overager this late? Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, we talked to a reporter with the Brandon son, Perry Bergson, and he had a lot of good things to say about Cole. And I don't think he was too surprised that he was able to step into the AHL because he has a lot of those skills that can work well in a pro setting. He just kind of needs to fine tune them. So Cole Reinhardt is our fifth guy on uh, on our power ranking of Belleville players growth this season. A double overager in the draft. He's 20 years old. He steps in and he had that beauty OT winner. He finishes the year with six goals and 12 points in 33 games. So he played all but two games this year and finished a plus two. Lots of guys heavy in the minuses based on that first 10 game stretch where they are blown out a few times, including those first four games against Laval, which they even said they treated those like preseason games. There was such a break afterwards. It was during Ottawa training camp as well. So after that, they straightened things out, but for Cole Reinhardt to be a plus player and contribute the way he did, I think he is very deserving to be number five on this list. As we move to number four, Pilsy, who do we have? Hashtag goalie friendly show and the great Dane came into the AHL and made an immediate impact. How about seven and oh for your first North American professional record? Like that is insane on a team who struggled before he got in here and he was able to carry them to a hot winning streak, a franchise record winning streak, might I add. So the way that Sogard was able to come in and seemingly 
smooth transition. Like there wasn't even like a couple times where you're like, Ooh, I don't know. Like he's obviously a first year AHL goaltender. Like maybe that there was that one goal where there was a miscue where he kind of let Lassie try to take it. And then the other team put it in the net real quick. But I mean, that's a minor mental lapse. The rest of the time he was smooth. He was gliding across the crease really soundly. Like his position was great. The rebound control was good. So this is a guy who I pegged as the goalie of the future for this team because he looks so good in his first showing and he has a long runway to go. So Matt Sogard is very deserving of that fourth spot. We will say he got some run support for sure. He allowed Big three time. or more goals in four of his seven games, but allowed one in two of them as well. You look at his save percentage per game in Five of seven, he was well over 900, which is what you love to see. But it was great for the team to pick him up in the games where he wasn't as elite as he was in the others. It's They don't ask how, they ask how many. And Mad Sogart was strong, sturdy, and reliable. And Troy Mann praised that uh, during his last media appearance, just saying that he gave the guys so much confidence. And when you remember, this guy's a 2000 birthday, a December 2000 birthday. He's not going to be 21 until December, when you think about how much growth there is and how goalies really only become players at 25, 26, there's so much room to grow for this six foot eight great Dane. And he's well deserving to be on this list despite the small sample size. Now, people might be asking, what about Philly franchise? This guy was the best goalie in Ottawa, but still spent some of the year down in Belleville. I just think that his game in the NHL was completely different. You still saw that. Like Gustafson played 13 games in Belleville, but I'd argue his numbers do tell the story that he was much better at the NHL level. He had a 9-10 save percentage in those 13 games, but to me, Mad Sogard was the best goalie in Belleville this season. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you have a perfect record, it's pretty hard to argue that. <laughs> yeah, no question. Gustafson was 5-7-2 and two in Belleville. All right, moving up to number three. Number three is a guy we got to see in the NHL to finish off the season. And he's a guy we've loved for a long time, Ross. It's Parker Kelly. And I think we talk about this every time we mention him, but it's important to know. Like when he started in Belleville, one goal, one point in his first like 20 games, he was absolutely invisible. And then he started working on different parts of his game, not focusing so much on uh, the things he was struggling with. And he rounded out his game and he ended up being a key contributor for Troy Mann and the rest of the Belleville team. And he got rewarded with that, with the call up to the NHL. And wouldn't you know it, he scores in his first game. So Parker Kelly, this is the kind of guy, like I can see him, Ross, being kind of a, a new version of Nick Paul. Like maybe he's going to get called up and sent down a lot to start his career because he's just trying to squeeze his way into a young NHL roster full of stud prospects. But he's a guy that's going to show the coaches night in and night out. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I don't want, I don't need to be the guy that scores highlight goals. I don't need to be on the top power play. I'll grind it out every single shift I'm on the ice. And I love the shift disturber uh, tagline for him because that perfectly describes Parker Kelly's game. Yeah, if you look at just his last six games, he had four goals, three assists, so seven points in his last six games. He was a plus eight, had 15 shots and 16 penalty minutes. Like that is as shift disturbing as it gets. He was all over the ice, noticeable, and he can play up and down any lineup, whether it's NHL or AHL, I think, where he can be the third best player on the line, but he's going to be the first guy in on every four check. He's going to finish his hits, and he's going to, really cause other other teams and you saw even that in the nhl with jake muzzin 
he kept beaking at him because he was getting under his skin. And I just love what he brings. I see him as a spot in pencil at the NHL level. But to finish off what we think might be his AHL career, we've got him as number three as showing the most growth. Moving to number two, a guy who was in college to start the year, but you can't hold Crookshank down. This guy deserves to be on this list, and the sample size is there now too. Yeah, number two on our list, but number one in best names in the franchise. I just love it. Angus Crookshank came into the AHL with a bang, Ross. I'm looking at his game logs here. His first one, two, three, four, five, six games he got a point in, and then he didn't get a point uh, in his seventh game, but then games eight and nine, he had two assists and a goal. So pretty much to start his career, this guy was lighting up the score sheet every single game. And I'll be honest, like I thought he could play decently in the AHL, but I really didn't expect this kind of impact off the hop. And he finished the season, 19 games played, five goals, 11 assists for 16 points. I just love his all-round game. Like he seemed to always be in the mix. Like whenever I was watching Belleville, whether he's taking shots or making nice passes, like anytime the puck was near Angus Crookshank, there was something going on. Like there wasn't very many nothing shifts where he just kind of would dump and chase and change. Like he was always getting something going. So I'm so excited to see what he has now that he's got uh, half a seat. Well, half of half a season under his belt, <laughs> uh, I guess we'll have to say, but next year he's going to be a mainstay in this Belleville lineup. And I can see him contributing a big role in the top six. Yeah, you look at him finishing tied for fifth in points, but yet he played so many less games than everybody ahead of him, except he played four less than Vitaly Abramov, but over 10 less than everyone else. So what he brought was incredible. And you, did you hear him in his press conference, what he's going to do this summer? He's he's just as cool as it gets, too. Apparently, he's going to be surfing a bunch this summer out back home in, in BC. So that doesn't uh, just surprise as, me. Just as smooth off the ice as he is on, but the smoothest of all is Igor Sokolov and what he's done, the shark attack. My, what big teeth you have. And my, what a shot he has as well. Leading all AHL rookies with 15 tucks, the best rate of goals for any player in the American Hockey League under the age of 21. Our guy, Igor. And yeah, this, what a great story. Like, I don't think there's a single person in the hockey world that isn't cheering for Igor Sokolov. Like, he's just such a lovable character. He he tries really hard. His English is getting better. And it seems like he's a real uh, guy's guy in the room. The boys seem to love him. And he gets it done on the ice, too. Like, that booming shot is incredible. Like, I haven't seen a shot like that in a guy in his first pro year in quite a while. And all you need to know, if you want to learn what kind of player Igor Sokolov is, Go back a couple games ago and that two-on-one opportunity he had where no no one thinks he's passing that for a goddamn second. He's looking right at the goalie and is like, it's me versus you and I'm going to beat you here. It's Sharkalov and you cannot handle my shot. No screen, no tip, no deflection. Beat you cleanly and 15 goals in a rookie season at a boy, Igor. He must be crushing built bars because the power in his shot is obscene. Now, you can be crushing built bars too if you need a protein bar, but you don't like the ones that taste terrible. These ones, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And they come in 16 amazing flavors as well. You'll never get bored and tired of the same old, same old. There's eight chocolate, not eight are chocolate nut free, but all bars are 100% covered in chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Built bars are great for the health conscious guy or girl. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in this delicious treat. The bars are low in calorie, low in sugar, but 
Talk about them. Nutritional Grand Slam. They're high in protein and high in fiber. Pillsy, hit us with your pick of the day. Well, there's nothing better, Ross, than coming home and seeing a Built Bar box at your door that's just been delivered. That'll put a smile on your face. And I had my box delivered, and it was peanut butter brownie. This is one of my favorite flavors, so I had no problem not getting the mixed box and just getting 18 of this because it never gets old. Peanut butter and brownies covered in chocolate. That's a match made in heaven, and it's just a delicious protein bar. That might surprise you with some of these facts. Only 180 calories, 19 grams of protein packed into there, and only 5 grams of sugar. So if you want something where you can get your protein and enjoy it, Pillsy's pick of the day is peanut butter brownie Bilt Bar. Head to BiltBar.com and see all the great products available. And when you go there, use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. It's Bilt Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. All right, Pilsy, before we get to the interview, let's wish a happy 40th birthday to the greatest goalie in Ottawa Senators history. Wouldn't be a goalie-friendly show without it. Craig Anderson, you know, he's first in games played as a Sens goalie, first in wins in, in playoffs. He's got the best save percentage, tied with Patty Laleen with 21 playoff victories as well. Two last losses, by the way, than Laleen. So you look at what he's brought to this organization from 2011 all the way until 2020, the longevity. When you acquire a goalie who's 30 years old and then he becomes your starter for the next decade, it's just tremendous resilience. A guy who was drafted, not signed, had to re-enter the draft, was placed on waivers, played for what countless number of teams before landing in Ottawa. But it's great that at the end of the day, when we look back at Craig Anderson's career, he's going to be known as an Ottawa senator. Oh, yeah, we love Craig Anderson, and it's great to see him still still a part of the NHL action. Samsonov is now the starting goalie, but after that questionable overtime play there, playing the puck behind the net, maybe they go back to Anderson, who just turned 40. And, yeah, that's incredible to be a 40-year-old and still playing. And like you said, when the Sens acquired him, I'll never forget when they acquired him, and he just went on that insane run. Like, it was that was instantly a win for this organization in a one-for-one trade. So you'll love to see that. Uh, Craig Anderson, happy birthday. After we chat with Andy Sutton, we will talk some NHL playoffs, check in on our Sens abroad and a whole lot more. But before we do, let's head over to our interview with former Ottawa Senator defenseman, Andy Sutton. All right, we now welcome a very special guest, a 13-year NHL veteran, played over 670 games, including 18 of them with your Ottawa Senators, where he's one of only 272 players to score a goal for the Sens. Now he's the CEO and owner of Verbero Hockey. Andy Sutton, welcome to Locked On Senators. How are you doing today, man? Good, boys. How are you guys doing? Oh, fantastic. We're really excited to have you on a little stroll down memory lane. But first, we're really curious what you're up to now. We were checking out Verbero Hockey. Looks like it could be the next big thing in the hockey manufacturing world. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. We, we've been hard at work. You know, Verbero's a brand that's been around for over a decade. And I, I was fortunate enough to be able to acquire it um, through an exit from another company I was working with. And we put it back together, taking the best of products and then bringing in a lot of features that don't exist in the marketplace. You know, we have the only proprietary team store software. So that's a big thing for us. We own our own apparel manufacturing. We have the only full carbon fiber skate. We have the lightest stick on the market at 350 grams. And then we have an affiliation with a 3D printed helmet company that is pretty mind blowing custom goalie gear. We're, we're really different than the 
than the other brands. Yeah, the Verbero website just looks sweet. Like we were on there today checking out uh, the goalie equipment. We're uh, two tendies ourselves and all the stuff looks great. So what was your initial like drive to do this? Like when you finished your hockey career, were you like looking at some of these hockey equipment companies and just like, we can do this better. Like there's a better way to this. Like what was your drive to get into this business? Well, I think like everything, it's, it was a bit of an evolution. You know, I, I studied engineering at school, so I always kind of had a, an analytical mind and then playing the game the way that I did, you know, and be, uh, being injured all the time, you know, it, didn't, it ended up being like, you know, fi- basically 15 years of the lockouts and everything like that. And I think I averaged under 40 games a year. I had 14 surgeries in 16 years. So I was always looking for, you know, different ways to make the equipment better, always thinking it should be better. Um, I ended up going and working for a hockey company as president for about four and a half years. And while I was there, you know, I got to learn a lot about about the back the back end of, of, of basically owning a hockey brand. Everything from manufacturing, sourcing, product development, um, brand building, marketing, warehouse management, fulfillment, everything that you need to do to manage an e-commerce company. And lo and behold, I was able to to extract the Berbero brand and and run it the way I wanted to run it because I knew that there there needed to be a change in the industry. You know, the the, the status quo is is a broken model. You know, the the bigger companies command a big presence there but in the end they don't make any money you know so they're not profitable and then the, the consumer ends up paying for basically the way that they run their business you shouldn't have to pay into all the, the marketing dollars that they spend and everything they do to try to keep the consumer captivated you know we we really wanted to take that out sell direct so in a lot of instances you know we're like 30 to 60 percent less uh, on price but without forsaking any quality you know like i mentioned we have the lightest stick on the market at 350 grams the only full carbon fiber skate, you know, our, our products are as top tier as they can get. And then really our model simple too. We're not trying to confuse the customer with a bunch of different products in every category. We're kind of more of a best of, you know, we want a best in class and until, unless we can improve it, we will never replace it. And everything is sold right from you guys on your website there at verbero.com. Yeah, we sell everything at verbero.com. And then the other thing that we put in place, that's probably maybe one of our most defining characteristics we, we allow our sales rep force basically to sell anywhere to anybody. And then we let our rep force build their own sub rep forces. So you can work with your best friends and colleagues. We're paired and partnered with a bunch of different podcasts. We're partnered with elite prospects. We're partnered with high level organizations, but our, our sales reps are people, people, any people that love hockey, right. And we're, we're all in that class. We all, we all wear that same, wear that same suit. And then really people that, that feel passionately about doing, doing things differently and being able to access all these products, you know, through through dedicated team stores is a, is, a, is sort of an evolution in the game. And then our sales reps are out, you know, pushing that messaging. We've we've grown to over 300 sales reps um, uh, worldwide in, in less than 16 months, which is pretty incredible, especially if you consider that Bauer had 50 pre-COVID. So we're uh, we're compounding uh, at a pretty aggressive rate, and we're really getting a lot of bandwidth at the point of play, which is which is really what I think has been forsaken by the other brands. If you think about it, you can't talk to somebody that owns these brands. You can't talk to, there's nobody at these brands that played hockey, right? So like the status quo model is busted and we're, we're going to go to the roots. We're going to talk to people. We're going to connect. It's going to be all about social networking, all about amazing product, all about player direct pricing. And that's going to be our model ongoing. Well, talking about a guy who's been there through it all, and you you took a long winding road to become, like you said, a 15-year NHL veteran. You're born in Ontario. You ended up playing, what, Junior B, am I reading here, with the Gananoque Islanders for a couple of years? That's um, close to home for us. And then 
you decided to go the NCAA route. How did that come about? And was it really an option ever to go to the OHL or how did you make that decision? Well, I was, I was a late bloomer to say the least, you know, I, I was, I didn't make my midget team. Right. So I, I was at a point there where I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? I, I didn't make the AAA team when my family moved me to Kingston. Um, so I had an opportunity to go play junior B in Gann. And it ended up like, I, I think I was terrified. And there were guys there with mustaches and jobs and the whole shebang. Right. So I get there and I'm like, where am I? I'm 15 years old. I'm like the youngest guy in the league. They took me in though. They really took care of me. I had an incredible coach there, Wilf Johnson, that was instrumental in my development. And I think, you know, I, I think it was a point in time where I figured out, okay, like, I learned how to play a little bit more like a man and stop being such a boy. And then from there, you know, I had an opportunity. I played in a, I played in a summer uh, invitation tournament type of thing. And I think there was four or six or eight teams there or something like that. And the first game, this guy who was, who was a, who wasn't, I think an NHL draft pick, he picked a, he picked a fight with me in the first game. And I, I absolutely beat him bloody in front of everyone. Every, all the other teams were watching. So nobody came within five feet of me the rest of the tournament. I think I won player of the tournament. And then Dave Barrett had happened to be there, who at the time was the coach of the St. Michael's Buzzers. And St. Mike's, when it was Junior B, was the place to go, you know, probably nationwide to try to get a scholarship. So I got the opportunity to go to school there, uh, played hockey there, and then was able to get a scholarship to Michigan Tech, where I spent four years. So it was a long road. I got the scholarship as a forward. Uh, they, they moved me to defense uh, my sophomore year. So that was a transition. Really, the first three years weren't much to talk about. And then the senior campaign was was uh, the kind of year where everything I touched just seemed to work. And, uh, you know, I went from being undrafted all the way through to having 14 NHL teams try to sign me the day after my last game. So it was, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty rapid uh, onset for my, for my life after, uh, after school. Yeah. That's gotta be a great feeling when you go from, uh, like you said, not making your midget team and now all these NHL teams are after you. So that's gotta be a good feeling for you. Now I want to touch on, you said you were playing the wing earlier and then you switched to defense, which I think makes a lot of sense with the style of player you are that you made that switch. But what, what happened to make that switch? Cause I'm always interested when guys switch positions because there must be some sort of discussion with a coach or a family member where it's like, it's not really working out at wing. I need to try something new. What was that kind of spark for you that uh, put you to being a defenseman? Well, I think, I think it was always, I was always in a little bit of an identity crisis because I actually started out as a defenseman as a kid. Right. And then I was big at that time. I was bigger than kids and I was, you know, fairly offensive. So I was scoring a lot of points as a defenseman. So people didn't, I don't think saw value in that type of defenseman back in the you know early eighties. Right. So they're like, Oh, well, let's make him a forward because he's obviously offensive. So they, they switched me to forward at like 12 years old or whatever. So then I'm doing that and I'm, you know, I'm doing fine. Right. I get going through that process, ended up getting a scholarship as a forward. So obviously I was doing all right. And then I get into school and it just really wasn't going well. I think I had like four points my first year. I was kind of in and out of the lineup. Second year was so-so. And then that was the year that the NHL had a lock of 94, 95. And at that time, like Randy McKay came and skated with us, Jim Storm and, and Pierre Paget, the coach came in and spent two weeks with our team. He was friends with our coach, Bob Mancini. And Pierre, at the, t- at the end of his stay, he left notes on every player. And Bob called me and he said, hey, Andy, do you want to hear what Pierre had to say? I said, yeah, sure, of course. Why, why not? And he says, all he said is try Sutton at defense. And he just looked at me and said, what, what do you think? I said, I said, oh, let's go. Let's go for it. Right. So we go for it. And obviously it was a massive transition. You know, we're on, we're on the big ice in college and chasing around all these little dudes. And, 
and, uh, you know, trying to learn how to be a defenseman as, as an adult, you know, I hadn't played since, since I was a kid was definitely a, a transition. And, and, and like I said, I don't know what happened. If it was just, you know, where I was meant to be or whatever it is, but that senior year, um, you know, I won defensive player of the year, um, was an all, all American and, and I had an amazing season. And, and then that led to really everything, you know, hockey's given me everything in my life and it gave me the opportunity um, you know, to go, to go and sign with the Sharks and get my, uh, get my NHL career started. And then even during that, you know, I, I uh, wasn't playing a lot with the Sharks. They had a lot of real strong veteran defensemen, you know, Gary Suter, Brian Marchman, you know, um, guys like that. You know, we had five or six guys that were super senior guys in NHL and I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. So they exposed me in the expansion draft and I got picked up by the Wild. And while I was there, they tried to turn me back into a forward, right? So I go to uh, I go to Mike Ramsey at the time. This is crazy, right? Like you've got you got legends there, Jacques Lemaire, you got Doug Riseborough as a GM, Mike Ramsey, Mario Tremblay, right? It's a it's a it's a heck of an organization. And I go to Rammer and I say, Hey, Rammer, like I think I think they put me on one game in D in Detroit. And I went to him and I I said, Hey, Mike, like I think I'm meant to be a defense from this league. Like, what do you think I have to do? And he looked me square in the face with an bat an eye and said you'll never be a defenseman in this league. Well, that, that was the wow. only piece I needed. Right. So I, I go in the next day and it was, for me, it was like, it was, it was guttural. I knew it had to happen. So I go into Doug Risebrow. You think about, you know, being a young player, like 23 years old and going into Doug Risebrow and say, Hey Doug, like if there's any way you can, I really appreciate it if you trade me somewhere where they would play me at defense. And I think he respected the fact that I just knew that. And they traded me to Atlanta a week later I went in there and same thing. Like I was, I still hadn't found my way and it wasn't until Bob Hartley got there as tough a coach as he is. Um, you know, he came in and I still remember he said, sat me down. He said, uh, uh, big Sutz. He said, I heard you can uh, really play the game. You haven't proved anything yet. You have a lot of potential. He said, uh, we're going to find out. I'm going to play you 30 minutes a night and you're going to cut, you're going to slit your own wrist. It's exactly what he said to me. So he did. He put me, played me every second shift. And um, I was really able to, you know, you never know if it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but I was able to get some confidence from that and then sort of build, build from there. And yeah, playing for two pretty much expansion teams right off the hop. And in Atlanta, you ended up playing with a, a Sens legend. Now you missed him in Ottawa it was the year after Danny Heatley got traded. But what was it like being with a young Heatley and a young Ilya Kovalchuk? I feel like you just sit back and watch the pluses rack up when, when those guys are out there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the pluses were good when the pluses were good, but they weren't they weren't great when the guys were uh, when the guys were sniffing for uh, for pluses, you know. So like we were always kind of trying to fight that fight that line, and we were a team that you know we by the time I left there, we turned into a very good team. We'd attracted a lot of great players. Obviously, we got Marion Hosa down, who, in my opinion, may be the best all around player I ever played with. So like guys like that and Slava Kozlov. Um, you know, Scott Mellonby, Bobby Holy, you know, we started to really attract a lot of players that were seen, senior players that that really wrapped the Keith Kachuk came in, like wrapped the young guys up and really like sort of showed them what it meant to to play as play as a veteran. And and, and that was a big piece, I think, for that organization. But it was a it was a heck of a time, like spending time with those guys, and even Kari Leighton as a rookie, you know, watching him come up and, and come into his own was was really, really, really incredible. And it was it was probably one of my favorite times as a player, you know, pl- playing a lot, having a prominent role and then being able to be part of, of the development of that program was was pretty incredible. Have to ask about Keith Kachuk because, of course, Ottawa fans love the Kachuk family, what Brady brings. And how can you qualify the change in culture that a Kachuk can bring? Because I feel like Keith Kachuk, just his presence alone has so much weight. 
Yeah, he look big, big Walt, big Walt's a legend. He really is. He's a legendary human. He's he's a guy that just commanded such a presence, and I'm sure that his his kids are the same way. Like he just had, he just it's hard to explain. He just like he has such a uh, such a self confidence, such an assuredness. You know, he's so tough mentally, physically. You know, knew knew how to play the game in all the all the areas that you got to that you've got to play it in well to be successful. You know, he was he was he was just multi dynamic, I guess, on and off the ice. And and I think I'm quite sure he's probably passed that on to his to his boys, at least from what I see. Yeah, I think we can attest to that. The Kachuk effect is in full force in Ottawa. I can promise you that, Andy. Uh, I want to stick with Atlanta because I'm always so curious about uh, that franchise. It was just, it seemed like a strange thing to have a hockey team in Atlanta and it didn't last. But I want to hear your firsthand experience. Like, what was the hockey culture like there? And you spent a lot of time there uh, with the Thrashers. So what was it like playing hockey in Atlanta? And did you really feel that it was something that that was going to stick? You know, I'll say this, it, you know, it, it built and obviously having, you know, having Ilya Kolchuk and Danny Healy as a base, you know, and Kari Layton, and I'll put those three guys in and then filling it out with the rest of us that sort of rounded out that, that group. It, it, it had ridiculous potential. I'll say that, you know, and then the, uh, the accident uh, with, with Dan Snyder was a big, was a big marked uh, event, obviously in, in a lot of people's lives, but also for that organization. And, um, you know, it was, it was challenging to rebound from that. I think that was the piece where, where the, the direction changed a little bit, but then even, you know, towards 07, when we ended up winning the Southeast division and we played the Rangers in the first round, you know, we, we had a, we had a good regular season, but we weren't tried and tested in the playoffs. I mean, we couldn't get the puck off of Michael Nylander for four games and they swept us and it was embarrassing. And then they kind of, they kind of dismantled the team. They let me go that summer. You know, that's uh, that's the year I went to the Islanders and, and they let a few other guys go, and it kind of just it kind of just went went uh, went away from the from the evolution that it, that it, that had become. But during my time there, it was it was incredible. I mean, I, I live in the south now. I, I'm back in the south because I love living in the south. It's it's really beautiful. People are amazing, um, really down to earth and and easygoing, and and I love that part of things. And that you know, there's a lot of great culture there, and and they really did embrace us when we played well. I don't think it's the same as like in Ottawa, where like the team's going to embrace you know good, good, bad, or otherwise. It's a different, it's a different deal. Like hockey's not in the fabric of every human there, but at the same point in time, if you're putting an entertaining product out, you're going to fill the building. Yeah, no question. And there, I mean, there's a huge market in Atlanta, and I think if if the right ownership comes back one day, I think there's a couple markets ahead of them, maybe Houston, hopefully Quebec City. But I could see, especially with TNT getting the secondary rights in the states, you could see that market maybe becoming uh, attractive for a third try after they had the Atlanta Flames first, and then the Thrashers for a few years. So you mentioned, then you go to the New York Islanders, you spend two and a half seasons there. When Brian Murray pulls the trigger, talk about legends that you had in Minnesota in management. Brian Murray, we're on the, the train to get him in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of a shame that he wasn't able to smell the roses while, while he was still here. But what was your conversation like when you were acquired by Ottawa for a second-round pick in 2010? Well, I'll tell you what. I was, you know, I'd come off a really good year, made my best year, um, and I, I, was, I was ecstatic. You know, my family's in Kingston, and uh, I, got to, I got to come home for the first time and play, and that was – like I still get goosebumps when I think about it. And I remember I get choked up, even as it was an incredible t- opportunity. And, and I remember being on the bench, you know, the, the one playoff game, they're passing that giant Canadian flag around and everybody in the stands is singing, Oh Canada. And there's just, 
you just can't describe that. You know, you, you don't get that everywhere. And, and Ottawa is a really special place. It was, it was my favorite, it was my favorite condensed, you know, time I spent. And in hindsight, you know, the, the set, Brian, who I had a great relationship with, he's one of the most incredible people I've met in the game. Um, you know, they offered me a, a two year deal at the end of that to stay in Ottawa. And, you know, I had, I had earned free agency. I'd had a good, good year. And I, I said, look, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not interested in it. I, I, um, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested in it. I just like to see what else is available for me because I paid, you know, I paid my dues. I was an old man at that point, you know, and so I went to free agency that summer, and they, they didn't, they didn't come back around for whatever reason. Maybe they, did, maybe they felt insulted that I didn't decide to stay, um, you know, and, may, and maybe I should have stayed. You know, maybe I should have stayed. I think it was a great fit for me. I think at the set, at the same point in time, you're always trying to decide as a business, as a business person, like what's the, what's the decision and, and, and maybe not paint yourself into a corner or, or whatever it is, give yourself options if you have them, because so often in our careers, we don't have any options. We're told where to be, who, how much we're going to make, who, who we're going to, who we're going to play for and all that type of stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's one of those sliding doors of moments in our lives and, and probably all roads lead to Rome in the end. But at the time it was, uh, it was a tough decision. I can tell you. Yeah, I believe it. And I don't think anyone's about to blame you for taking a nice big deal to go out to Anaheim either. That's, uh, that's, there's no fault there. That would be a pretty cool experience. Now, while you were at the Sens, Ross and I were talking about this before the interview, just a, what a weird team to kind of hop onto at the trade deadline. You had a bunch of stars there. Like you were there for Carlson's rookie season. What was the feeling like in the room when you walk into that room and there's guys like Kovalev was there, Alfie, like what was that feeling like for you? Well, I'll tell you, like, and I've told a million people this story. It, it's it's the most professional organization I was I was ever part of to that point. It's just like you came in and it, and it, I think because you had you had you know you had Philly there and you had Alfie there and you had you had you know guys that had come through the Neil Dog, Neil Dog, like he was a big component. Kells was there. I mean, there was there were guys there that upheld the culture, right? And I talk to people about this all the time. The great organizations do the, are great because they build a culture. And when you build a culture, you can bring in a you can bring in an Ilya Kovalchuk, and he will conform because you just there's no room there's no room for individual individuality in a way that's detrimental to the team. So I feel like Ottawa had that cooking really really well. And when so when I came in, you, you could feel that you know, and all the way through the staff, you know, Chad Shello, like the the professionalism that was there. All the way through, you know, the, the medical staff, the equipment staff, just, I was just, I was just blown away, you know, and I know Jerry and the guys are still there and they're still, they're still doing a great job. And, and, and the team is so lucky to have, you know, so lucky, so lucky to have their equipment staff. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, it's a, it's the best, it's one of the best places to play hands down. There's no doubt about it. And we always like to, especially building off, you mentioned the culture there. We always like to ask about Daniel Alfredson himself. We know he's just kind of lead by example type guy, always out there after practice. You ever try to play keep away with him? And uh, who is tougher to get the puck off of in practice, him or Kovalev? Well, <laughs> uh, I would say this. Da- Daniel is um, he's probably the best all-around player I ever played with and, and, and such a natural-born leader. Uh, led, led by example, and I, you know, I, I got to play against them a lot, you know, especially when I was in Atlanta and playing against top lines. And I mean, you want to talk about a guy that's just like, just the most, like, fearsome competitor. You know, he's just, he's just, and then put, put the skill on top of it. And then you talk about like keep away. Like we play a, we play a like a one on one on one in the face off circles, and 
you couldn't get the puck off of him. Like yeah. he, he Bass told us that last year. He's like, I play for half hour. I wouldn't touch the puck. It's, it's really, it's really kind of unfathomable if you think about it, you know, and I tell this story too, like they do a, you guys maybe have heard this already. If you have, I'm sorry, but they, we do a ping. You know, I love to play ping pong and a lot of guys play ping pong. We've got time. It's like a nice way to relax, get your hand eye going. And I do a tournament every year and, and they'd enter, they'd enter Alfie one and Alfie two. And every year Alfie one would play Alfie two in the finals. And the only <laughs> distinction is his left-handed Alfie and right-handed Alfie. It's just like, who can do that? And, and guys, like a lot of these guys, including Kobe, like myself, so they're like really good ping pong players, like just no chance. You just have like no chance. So he's, he's just, uh, you know, you go play golf and he's a two handicap. He's just like the nicest guy on the planet. You know, he's just like, it's almost like you can't believe there's somebody like that. And that, that's a big reason why that organization, you know, was and, it, and is what it is today is because of, is because of his presence and what he was able to, what he was able to uh, impart onto the organization. Can we put you down in the yes column to have Alfie in the Hall of Fame? Oh, hands hands down. I mean, I, I'd, I'd give him the keys to the city if it were up to me. He's got it, actually. Yeah, he has the key to the city of Ottawa. Uh, they presented it a couple of years ago. Well earned. Yeah, thank goodness. I'm glad. There you go. Smart move, yeah. Now Andy doesn't have to do the ceremony. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's just crazy. Like, I feel like that's the alpha energy that alfie has i mean fitting alfie alpha but like just you're not going to beat him in ping pong even like he you're you don't have a chance against this guy so competitive and another fierce competitor eric carlson who like i said you got to play with him in his rookie season and we were talking a bit uh, before the interview you were saying the weight difference between you and eric carlson was crazy i'll let you get into that but how was it playing with a young eric carlson who was the definition of a riverboat gambler defenseman and you had to kind of shore things up or responsibly yeah and I think that was a big part of why they brought me in you know I don't I don't know that they had found uh you know a, a, part, a partner that that was going to insulate him you know as he was kind of coming into his own so I had to get come in and then get to get to play with him get to know him uh was was a, was a, was one of the my favorite experiences of my whole career that year believe it or not and I was 265 pounds right and he'd always call me the old man well like I was 35 years old 36 years older I, mean, I was like an old man but like not really an old man you know so but like almost twice his age, right? When a hundred pounds more. And, and we, we made an, we made a great pair, you know, and I, I think I was, uh, I was good at being able to back him up and, and protect him a bit, which gave, bought him a little space. And you give a guy like that a little bit of space and it's, uh, it's game over. So you knew he was a first round pick, but at that point he hadn't really established himself that much. How long did it take you to see him play up close and personal to realize that you were beside a special talent? It, it takes five seconds. I mean, like, it, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time with a lot of players and, you know, I, I stick handle a lot of pucks and shot a lot of pucks and, you know, mo- moved around and, and done this and that. But I, you know, when you, you get to be close to a guy like that and get to see the little things that he does in five minutes, you're like, Holy, this is, this is a, this is a special human being. And he's, you know, he's continued to prove that obviously. Yeah. Complete stud. And I mean, that's something that you can tell your, your grandkids about one day that you got to see the start of, of a legendary career. I'm sure you've been following along from afar, like that 2017 playoff run. It was like McDavid, Crosby, and Carlson, the best three players on, on planet Earth. And yeah. you got to think that maybe he gave a bit of his future to really accomplish that with, with his heel and the injury that he was playing through yeah. as well. Um, I know we've brought it up a couple times, but I need your opinion of playing with Alexei Kovalev, just like such an enigma-type guy. But some people say like the most talented player in NHL history, if he could put it all together, like, do you agree with that high praise? 
Yeah, and and I, and he's he's a multi dynamic human, right? So like a lot of Is guys. Is he a pilot? He's a pilot. He's a scratch <laughs> golf. He's he's an incredible human being, and he you know, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, he, he, there's athletes that are like all in. They do one thing. They do it really really well. You see that a lot with with top tier athletes. You know, you and then you and then you meet somebody like that who's just good. He's good at everything, and he's interested in so many things. So it's like you know. I think for him, he obviously always did his best, but I think he had a lot of things that he liked to do, right? So it's like, and then you talk about, I mean, I tell these stories all the time, like this, some of the stuff where like the guys would stretch at the center circle after and the trainer would come on, dump a bunch of pucks and he'd, he'd be like saucering over the group of guys and shooting for the, on his knees and shooting wrist shots to the top of the net at the far end. And he'd get like one out of every three on top of the net. It's like, and then he could, you know, he could go and he used a stick that was short and it was like the shaft was way thicker than anybody else. And you'd go and you'd grab it and you'd bend it and it didn't move. And then it has like a bandy curve on it, right? So it's like it, it, go, it scoops away and it's got this really weird curve and really odd lie. And it's just incredible. And you look at like his, his wrists are like this thick and his forearms. He's just like he was just built for it. And I can remember playing against him a lot before coming in there. And I despised him because he made it look so easy. And I always wanted to try to crush him. But you can never hit him. He's too smart. And even if you do, he's he's 240 pounds. I mean, and, and like all lower body weight and he's so shifty and he uses force to like turn away. I mean, just just a phenom, absolute phenom. And and I got a chance to, to hang out with him a good bit when I was there. And he's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy, too. And, and uh, but def, definitely one of the best uh, talents I ever played with. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, I think a lot of people, they just assume Kovalev was just a smaller skill guy. Yeah, they forget the strength that this guy had. And he he was a lot of fun to watch, sometimes frustrating at, at times for Sens fans, but definitely entertaining for sure. And talk about entertaining. The Ottawa Senators went into the playoffs that season up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. What was the feeling in the room when you know when you knew you were matched up against the Penguins? Because you guys were one and one at that point, right? Ottawa took it in 07 and I think Pittsburgh in 08. Yeah, it was, you know what, it was, uh, you, you knew what you're up against. I mean, you're talking, I know, I know Sid and, and Gino are still playing well, but like, we're, I, I think you're talking about in their prime. I mean, you're talking about, you know, these guys in their, you know, late, late twenties or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, um, it was crazy. I mean, you knew, you knew what you were getting into and you were up against a team that was, that was incredible and unrelenting. And I just remember in the series, realizing as good as we were with the Sens that we were not in a class like this. It was like waves, like every shift was like a wave where they just did the same thing. And every time you touched the puck, you got hammered and they just wore you down. And you just, you do, you know, like when you play a team that many times in a row, you, you just, you know what you're up against, you know, and you can fight as hard as you want, but in the, in the end, like when they roll you over like that over and over and over again, then when you can put those guys on the power play, because invariably when you're chasing you end up taking extra penalties and then they just, they just hurt you so many ways, you know? So it was a, such an honor to, to have that experience. And it was such a cool experience to have, but I think the, I think in the end, the better, the better team uh, prevailed that series. Ah, Sidney Crosby had 14 points in six games that series. And I think that the kind of what exemplified that entire series was like Jason Spets at that point was still at the height of his game. He was an absolute stud and Crosby put him in a blender behind the net. Like it went one way, the other way, the other way, and then tucked it out front. You're like, okay, this kid is is the real deal. And they were just coming off winning the Stanley Cup. And, of course, you guys actually won game one of that series as well. I'm just pulling it up right here. And then game two, 
your, your most famous sends moment easily. How much was that just trying to set the tone or did you just see a, a offensive defenseman rushing with his head down? Well, that year, um, you know, and I, I always prided myself, try to be a good open ice hitter and try to, you know, hit hard and, and let people know that I was there. That was the game back then. It's not the same game nowadays. I don't think, you know, you might've got 30 games for that hit this year. Yeah. And so, you know, that was what it was. And I have, I have some regrets about the way that that went down, but at the same point in time, that was what was asked of me. That's why I was able to carve myself out in the career for a lot, in a lot of ways. And that year, I, I mean, I'd probably knock 10 guys out cold, honestly, with open ice checks. And, you know, I always, I always kind of, there was like a, there's like a web that exists. And I used to love when there was back pressure because invariably guys would always put their heads down. And I had this sort of lateral move that I would, that I would do. And, and uh, you know, the, I think the commentator just prior, like maybe a five minutes prior after I had, I'd seen it in, in retrospect, it, you know, I'd said, Oh, Sutton's been very, very quiet this series. You know, we had <laughs> the prototypical big hits. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was there and it was a, it was a, you know, the, those, those series are high, they're high energy and you're, every player is doing their best to bring their very best. Right. And that was part of it. And it, it sent a message for sure. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess in the end, you know, you, that you think about Jordan, you know, Leopold now, and, you know, he's got a family and a whole life after hockey. And I just, I just hope that, that he, you know, hasn't suffered any long-term ramifications of that. Cause when you're in it, like you see it, you know, like a warrior, you're almost uh I don't know. You're almost numb to the the harm you might cause because you're just, you're fighting so hard for what you believe in. And then when you sit back on the other, at least I do, when I sit back on the other side now, I see it, I see it a little bit differently. Like would I have done it differently at the time? Probably not. But now I think about like the, the life after all the, all the lives that we all have and share because I, I'm very connected now too in what I do and the fact that we, you know, that we employ a lot of ex NHLers and ex, you know, ex professional players that, how difficult life after hockey is in so many different ways. So I, I definitely, I definitely look at it, you know, from a, from a different lens these days. You had two penalties that game, one for holding and one for holding the stick. So no, not even a, not even a two minute minor on the play. Pittsburgh scores with four minutes left to win the game. Did that put you in a bad mood for uh, the interview or is just the line of questioning was kind of strange. He was, he wasn't asking a question. He was telling you. Yeah. And it was, it was one of those um, organic moments. And, you know, you, when you're painted into a corner like that and your, 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 and your energy is already high. And I believe that a lot of these guys, like they look for these opportunities to brand themselves, to be the guy that like gets under the skin that, you know, they give it. So I, I give that guy or I give that guy an opportunity to be everywhere. Right. In that, in that instance. So, you know, and I, and I, I think it, it got handled fine. I think I was like, I was seething pretty well seething inside. And that was, uh, you know, that was sort of the, uh, the best I could do to control my emotions, but the, the emotions are high. And it was, uh, it's funny after all the time I spent that that ends up becoming the thing that follows me around everywhere. So I've got to figure out a way to brand it or something like that and put it with Verbero, the expert series or something like that. The expert <laughs> series of Verbero. Yeah. I love that. And it's yeah. gloves that come off super quick as <laughs> you can defend yourself. Got a little rocket ships in them or something like that. It's like yeah. launch them off. And you can you can notice that more, I think, in playoffs because you get the local media from each town. Like I was covering the Leafs Habs game last night, and a couple of the questions that the Habs reporters are asking the Leafs are like, "Oh, but you did that on purpose, right?" The the like the fighting uh, after that hit, and yeah. I, I don't know. You didn't have to answer the bell for that one. Did you have to get in a scrap later that series? No, no, but I don't know that like they're 265 pounds. I don't yeah. know if anyone's coming. Well, out I don't yet. know if they. I don't even know if they had anybody in the lineup that was inclined that way and honestly like this is where 
I'm not sure. Like even the stuff, the, even what happened with with Tavares and Perry, like, and then Nick Felino, who's not a fighter, like coming in, and I and I and Nick's another one, your like, former teammate. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite guys I ever played with, hands down. You know, and, and an amazing leader, amazing you know, well rounded player coming in to do his part, try to answer, but like, is that you no? Know, Corey didn't mean to do that. You no, know what I mean? And and so it's like answer the bell I mean like what do you mean you know like and I always used to say that like I hammer, I hammered this guy I didn't get a penalty like, I fight you now like you play three minutes a game like I'm gonna fight you and that's why the tough guy kind of went away because unless you're gonna jump me which you're not gonna do you know like I'm I'm playing 30 minutes a night you know I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna fight you you know whoever you are like doesn't make it doesn't make any sense so like the whole the whole conversation around around fighting in the tough guys is an interesting one to me. You know, like the stuff that happened with Tom Wilson and then like, you know, Nick having, having to do that when Corey inadvertently like knees John in the head. You know, it's just like it's it's interesting to me and all the kids that are watching. It's just it's sending sending the wrong message. You know, it really is sending the wrong message. But at the same point in time, and I skate with George Peros here and I talk to George after after the Wilson incident, I say, but how's it going? He says, uh well, I aged about five years and five days, but other than that, I'm doing okay. And I said, what's the, I said, what's the biggest problem? He said, polarization. He said, I, there's so many people pushing this out and so many, so many comments that you, and then the fact that you're trying to govern something that has relative subjectivity to it, right? It's an almost impossible to set a, set a distinct set of parameters around something that's very subjective, right? So it's, it's a hard job, you know, it's a hard job. And I think that in general, they've done a great job making the game safer, making it faster, making it more skilled, and and I hope that I hope that continues. It's kind of crazy when you when you mention. All right, was Tavares your teammate on Long Island, or did you miss him by a year? No, I played I played with John for uh, I think two years there actually. So I was there his rookie year and I think his second year, and he uh, he was another one like that you could just in five minutes you were like this is a this is a special special player. Well, it's just what you see from from a career that has so many stops because you mentioned all those guys like you're a teammate with Nick Foligno in Ottawa, Corey Perry in Anaheim and John Tavares on Long Island. So it's kind of great how how your roots run so deep in the game today. Is there a team in particular that you're looking to win the cup? Maybe you've got a couple of extra friends on that squad. Well, my uh, my dad is a lifelong Leafs fan. So, oh, we'll, we'll cut uh, that. Out. No, I know, and, and <laughs> I and I don't I don't know if it's in the cards for them, but like for my dad, you know, I I'd love to see them at least you know get past the first round. They're not off to the best start, but uh, hope, hopefully they can hopefully they can rebound. I hope I hope John's okay. But you bring up a good point, like about the roots running deep, you know, and this is what this is why our sales strategy with Berbero works because. You know, I, I can connect to all of these guys. Well, all of those guys can connect to all kinds of different people. And we're all like, we all have great roots where, we, where we're born, where we played minor hockey, all the different places we played. We know all kinds of people throughout that. So that's kind of the impetus for the way that I created this structure, you know, and then we tripled the industry standard commission rate. We tie all of our reps to the accounts and sub reps. So you earn on your sales and you also earn on your sub rep sales. So essentially we can cast this, this sort of multi-dynamic net, you know, and then we're also going in very directly at the point of play, right? We're going into the, to the coach. We have coaches that have signed on with us. Like I said, we have leading podcasts. We have great marketing partners. We have teams and associations. We have XNHL are the very prominent ones that have signed on. Uh, you know, a lot of the top women in the game, we did an affiliation with the PHPA that's been incredible in their life after hockey program. That's really led us to another, you know, 25 or so ex, ex pros, which is, which is great. It's great for business, but it's also great because we're able to actually support all of these athletes with a way to, to, to connect and to reconnect to the game. Because for me, when I started doing this, 
I started doubling back and connecting with people that I, that I played with minor in minor hockey. People hadn't talked to for 30 years, reached out and said, Hey, Sutsi, can I, how can I sign on? Like, what, what is this all about? And, and that's been such a, such a relief for me. Cause when I first left the game, I was like, I'm going to go do other stuff. I don't need, I don't need the game. I don't want to be in the game. It's like this and that. So, but you realize that you're, you're, you're severing the entirety of your life. You know, you, you I've lived in that for so long. So now to reconnect, it's drawn me back in. It's made me love the game more again. It's made me enjoy watching it more again, feel excited every day about growing this brand. And then obviously connecting with all the, all the great people we're so fortunate, uh, fortunate to work with. Yeah. And I mean, you could hear the passion in your voice. You're obviously passionate about it. And I think what you guys and uh, the whole Verbero team are doing is so important for the game because you you look at hockey guys like and, and you can probably attest to this more than anyone. They care about their equipment. Like a lot of these guys, they they don't just throw on any pads like they want to know it's the right stuff for them. And like you said, having sales reps and guys that are in the game just makes that so much easier. So I think it's a great idea and great products that you guys are pushing out. Now, last question for me, Andy. In your NHL career, you scored 38 goals. Which one of those goals is your most memorable? Is it your first one or maybe one later on in your career? Well, the first the first one was a seeing eye uh, muffin on Thomas Bocoon. So I, I, I think I go. should be like 26 miles an hour. I know I had I had a, I had a few in, uh, you know, in the stretch with with Atlanta down through the playoffs and, uh, you know, a couple, couple game winners when I was there that were, that were pretty cool. And I, I mean, for me, honestly, back, and especially back then, I was I was just as happy to you know have 12. I was probably happier to have 12 block shots and 10 hits on the card, you know, because I, I knew that was my job. Right. And be plus two or plus three or something. I knew I was really doing my job if I could go out and play against the top lines, you know, hit, hit, hit them, block, block their shots and be on the be on the positive side of that exchange. So, like, I kind of always I, I kind of always got, you know, got me there more than uh, more than scoring the goals. But there were there were a few there were a few that were, that were definitely pretty sweet. Do you remember your lone goal as an Ottawa Senator? I, I don't. I don't. It's against your dad's squad. It was against the Leafs on St. Patty's Day in 2010. Oh, nice. So yeah, kind of cool. Sure. And Alfie yeah. got an assist on it. So good thing you're pulling the tires. Which, uh, and then also Matt Cullen, who led the team in, in that playoffs and had a great career. You, you must have played with him somewhere else as well. I feel like so Matt, Matty and I played against each other in college. He was he was at St. Cloud and I was at Tech. So that goes. And we battled against each other. We were born the same age and and we so we battled against each other throughout and then we both lived in the hotel together for the three and a half months I was there in Ottawa I and mean, we we became uh, amazing friends and spent every single day together while uh, while we were there we both we were both there uh, solo and and just kind of uh, you know going through that process came in together at the deadline so we had a we definitely had a hook there and and we uh, we were we were definitely tight that's awesome. We really appreciate you joining us, Andy. Everyone go check out verbero.com. And I have to end with my final question. It has to be about another Sens legend and a guy who played a similar role that you did in Chris Phillips. Like, how welcoming was he when you came to Ottawa at that point? He had already been on the team for like a decade plus, and now he's the all-time leader in games played. What kind of relationship did you have with Chris? Well, again, like Chris is just a natural born leader. He had so he had so much security with the organization, and then he he was he did such an amazing job of making me feel comfortable. And then really just like he's he's like a lot of the greats, right? Like he was almost robotic in his approach. You know, like you could just count on him. You knew exactly what he was going to do. You knew before games exactly where he was going to be, what he was going to be doing. I mean, he was one of those guys that just had he just had it down to a science. He was so like. So he was super chill. You know, you never got too much of a high reaction out of him. You, ne- you never saw him like too angry or upset. He just, he had it all in, in perspective. And he was another, just another amazing leader that the, that the club was so fortunate to have. 
Well, it was a short but memorable stint for you in Ottawa and, and a great career as well. And we're glad to see that you're doing well in your next one. Andy, again, really appreciate you coming on. And maybe we can do this again down the road. I feel like we, once we get the stories flowing, we can do this for hours. But really do appreciate your time today. Yeah, likewise, guys. Thanks a lot and uh, take it easy, all right? Stick taps to Andy for joining us on the show and some great information about Verbero Hockey. You can go check it out, Verbero com Pilsy, it's the greatest time of year if you're a gambler, unless you're me and you're ice cold. But when I do wager, I like to go to bet online. It makes every game I watch that much more interesting. When it's the NHL playoffs, that might be the most difficult to bet on. But that's why it's great to bet online, especially before. You can get your series prices there. And that is easier than betting each game because the momentum swings are insane. But live betting could be the way to go here because if you see a team that you think is going to win, they go down a goal, boom, hit them on the money line. You got the Florida Panthers last night at plus 495 when they were down a goal to the Lightning in the third period. And that's the beauty of gambling, especially when you do it at Bet Online. And because the Bet Online is the number one sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network, you are entitled to a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Here's how you get it go to betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account. And when you do, when you make your first deposit, use promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. You put in $200, $100, bango, bango, bongo, right there for you. If you put in $100, it's $50. You get what I mean, but it's free play money. Of course it is. Got to win it to earn it. Pilsy, help these people out with your playoff parlay of the day. Yeah, we're going to get back on the horse here, guys. It's been a couple of consecutive losses, so we're going to simplify things here. Just going with the two-team parlay in this one. The Carolina Hurricanes are just hopping all over the Nashville Predators. I don't see much hope for that team. So even though it's already the series is getting away from them, I don't think Nashville has what it takes to fight back. I'm taking the Carolina Hurricanes money line at minus 136. I think that's decent odds. So I want to hop on that. And then let's head back to the North Division. Winnipeg Jets up against the Edmonton Oilers. The Jets got so lucky with that win. I mean, most of their goals were empty netters. They were barely hanging on the whole time. So there's no way Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl don't come back and tie this series up at home. So I like their money line at minus 169. And that's it. So Pilsy's playoff parlay of the day, guys, is Edmonton Oilers money line, Carolina Hurricanes money line, Let's put 10 bucks in there. You're going to win 1762. A, a smaller win than we're used to, but let's get the ball rolling and get back in the winning category here. The key is that you're in the action. We don't want you sitting on the sidelines when you make your first deposit. Don't forget the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus. It's Bet Online, your online sports book expert. All right, Pilsy, another wild night of playoff hockey. And all jokes aside, though, we do wish the best. To John Tavares, a very unfortunate incident where Corey Perry's knee got him in the head after he took a knee on knee hit from TJ Brody. So he was already spun around. He goes down. If Perry doesn't try to get out of the way, he's skating right over his neck. So he's trying to get out of the way. Complete freak accident. But the real storyline of, of course, other than hoping that John Tavares is okay. And it looks like the uh, Leafs just put out a statement saying, that he has been discharged from hospital, has been thoroughly examined, and he was kept overnight, but he's going to be out indefinitely. No surprise there. We, uh, outside of wishing him a speedy recovery, though, what were your thoughts on the response and Nick Felino fighting Corey Perry off the opening faceoff? 
Yeah, this was a wild scenario. I mean, this is one of those injuries where you see it initially and you're like, ooh, that's bad. And then you see it again and you're like, oh my God, this is... Well, they showed it 500 (laughs) times too. but, but here, like, you got to give some credit to the producers. There's no fans. They have nowhere to cut to. Like, there's no, like, ooh, there's an awkward situation on the ice. Let's let's avoid that. Like, they got nothing to work with, and they're just stuck filming something. So I don't want to get too hard on the producers of the show because there wasn't a lot of options. Yes, they didn't need to replay that a million times. That's for sure. And they didn't need to slow-mo it and all that kind of stuff. But they didn't have many options. So that's tough there. As far as the situation... I don't think there's a, or is there a single person that thinks Corey Perry did that intentionally? Because if they, if there is, that is just crazy. Like, I don't know how you think a guy would do that intentionally. He's trying to get out of the way. That's, we saw the slow-mo replay a million times, but that's happening in a split second. So there's nothing, I don't want to say any more on that. It was clearly unintentional. I think everyone knew that. The fact of the matter is, this is a playoff game. Your captain just got stretchered off the ice and the energy in that building must have been really eerie, like just dead silence. You probably hear Jonathan Tavares crying out in pain because he's, he's so injured and just has no idea what's going on probably. And there's not much you can do. Like how are they expected to hop back into an intense playoff hockey game? So I think Felino's just saying, Hey, our captain got stretchered off. Like, we got to resolve this. We can't just get back into the game and think everything's okay. I think he wanted to put some closure on the event. Otherwise, then there's just this awkward tension throughout the game and throughout the series. So I think the point was, look, I got to stand up for my captain. I know you didn't do it intentionally, but we need to do something here. Like, they couldn't just have played like there there would have been such such weird energy and they wouldn't have been able to get back in the game now obviously the player's safety is the most important thing I'm not prioritizing the energy of the game but I just think there wasn't many other options there and then Perry knows it too he's like man it was an accident I wasn't trying to hurt him and he just takes a beating because what what would have happened if Perry actually fights Felino and injures him in the process like then you got a whole domino effect and the whole thing gets out of hand so it's unfortunate that this whole scenario happened, but hopefully they can have some normalcy to this season. And yeah, we're so glad to hear that John Tavares uh, was discharged from the hospital. And it seems like the the real serious potential for this injury doesn't seem to be the case. And we hope that uh, he's doing all right and that his family's doing all right. That must have been really tough for them. Yeah, the first period was very strange after that. There there just seemed like a lack of, of intensity and you can't blame the players obviously especially when you're on the leaf side you're worried about the health of of your captain uh but really if that happened to anybody in that situation and the scariest part was him trying to get up after i guess try to show that leadership and and show that resilience right you want to set the table for your team to know that you guys are here to battle but he just couldn't and his legs gave out and that was uh terrifying for sure i don't know if i agree with you on on the fact that they had to fight there to set the the tone or set the table right because it didn't work because it was still super awkward and there was no flow until the second period even then it was just a choppy game all around lots of penalties and it ended up costing the Leafs no surprise their special teams have been horrific over the last 30 games their power play scored five goals over the last 30 games they've given up six shorthanded goals including the game winner and this is just a great story for an Ottawa native as well former junior B Ottawa West Golden Knight a former junior A, Ottawa junior senator. And now with the Montreal Canadiens, Paul Byron was put on waivers 
three separate times this season, Pilsy, and he goes out there and he puts a team on and scores an absolute beauty to get the game winner. That's got to be one of the nice shorthanded playoff goals ever. Like that was just an amazing play. And what I like best about that play, Ross, is a lot of players after you get tripped on a breakaway, the first thing you do is where's the ref? Where's the penalty? Where's the penalty? He didn't give up on the play. He's down on his knees. He's down and out. And he still manages to go top shelf on Jack Campbell. So what an amazing play. And yeah, that's uh, it, it's tough for the Leafs because I don't know how you bounce back from this. Like this is, this is going to be really hard for this team. That's your leader. And he's one of the most important guys on the team, like a, a top six centerman in the middle of the ice. The flow of the game goes through him so much. I mean, face-offs, like there's so much that that is tied to John Tavares and this team. So I, I really hope for the Leafs' sake that they're able to bounce back and keep this an intense series, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough indeed. Almost as tough as it was for the Golden Knights. Came back from down 2-0 to take a series lead. 2-1 there. Mark Stone sends a broad leading score. He had two goals in that one, including the empty netter at the end of the game. Uh, wild game on Long Island with the Islanders and Penguins. So many lead changes. The Penguins able to pull that one out. Jeff Carter now with 12 goals in 17 games with his new team. Who says a trade deadline acquisition can't help you? over the top and then the Panthers thank God they won this game and it took overtime and it took a few lead changes they were up to nothing I bet on the the lightning at that point but I'm actually kind of happy that the Panthers won because these three games have been unbelievable hockey it would be a shame for this not to go six or seven games so the Panthers win six five and it's another shift disturber Ryan Lumberg who gets the game winner in that one only his second career NHL goal so Lots of great hockey last night, eh, Pills? Oh, yeah. that, that uh, The Florida series, yeah, we want to see that go on as long as possible. The Pittsburgh-New uh, York Islanders series was intense. And that Vegas and Minnesota game was so weird because Minnesota came out fired up they scored two goals right away they had a third goal but it got disallowed due to offside and that was the tsn turning point they were absolute garbage after that like they got outshot in the second period 22 to 4 they only finished with 16 shots on the game like there was just no life left in them after that goal got disallowed and vegas comes back and scores five unanswered we're set for another great night of hockey tonight. 6.30 start for the Bruins and Capitals. And then Hurricanes and Preds have Game 3 with Carolina looking to take a 3 nothing stranglehold. That one goes at 7. And then a part of the Pilsies parlay of the day. Jets, Oilers at 9. And another team looking to take a 3-0 lead. The Colorado Avalanche, 9.30 in St. Louis against the Blues. We'll be back on Monday to break that all down. We'll actually have some recaps of it in the locker room. On Sunday, later today, I'm going to put together the Sends Abroad scoring leaders. You can catch that at Send Central on Twitter. You can also follow us, LockedOn.Senators, on Instagram, and follow us as well if you'd like. I'm at Ross Levitan, and Pillsy's at BrandonPillar1. We'll be in the locker room 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. We hope to see you all there. Connor Brown, Nick Paul, we'll get into how they did in their first game at the World Championships. And next week, We've got some stuff planned for you to wrap up the Belleville season, some interviews on tap. Hope you enjoyed Andy Sutton. For Brandon Pillar, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.